1910, uh, Halley's Comet was scheduled to come flying by uh, Earth. Halley's Comet comes by every, I don't know, 60 or 70 years, something like that. I'm not an astronomer, okay? I'm a preacher. Um, but in 1910, it was slated to come by, and sure enough, like clockwork, the comet appeared. But as the comet was approaching, um, new technology had been developed, and uh, it was discovered that Halley's Comet is this ball of frozen, I don't know, whatever, fire or whatever. Frozen fire, is that a thing? I guess so. Um, and, and, it's, and it's going across, the, going across our solar system. Uh, and the tail of Halley's Comet is like 25 million miles long. That's pretty far, right? That's further uh, than it is from here to Milano by a little bit, okay? Um, so it's 25 million miles long, the tail of this comet. And it was discovered that the Earth was actually going to go through kind of that crystallized tail of Halley's Comet, that 25 million long tail of the comet. And because of that, um, new technology was developed, and they could see that some of the things that Halley's Comet is made of is actually really, really bad for us. There's a poisonous gas um, that's frozen in big old chunks in the tail of Halley's Comet. And there was a mass panic uh, that swept across the world because we were going to go through this poisonous tail of this comet. And as we went through the poisonous tail of the comet, uh, people were predicting the direst of occurrences, that the, that the world would come to an end, that all life would cease to exist. There were hucksters who were selling special pills uh, that would keep you safe um, from the poisonous gas that you were going to be breathing in. And people spent tons of money on cures for something that, sure enough, when we passed through the tail of the comet, nothing happened. Right? There was no ill effects for our planet at all. Fast forward 90 years later, it's 1999, I'm a senior in high school, okay? Uh, and as I'm a senior in high school in 1999, all of a sudden a massive scare sweeps across the world again, right? There was a fear that our computers were going to kill us, right? Not like in the Terminator style, but, the, but in the, oh my goodness, we made a mistake when we started with computers, and, and we had the Y2K crisis, and that crisis, for those of you who are too young to understand, um, back in the day, there was only two digits for the year, right? And so it was 1999, and then the, the year was going to roll over to double zero, and the fear was when it rolled over to double zero that your computers that protected all of your banking information, that protected all the nuclear security protocols that we had, uh, that, that made sure our military understood where we are, that protected our CIA files, all of those files would all of a sudden think that it's the year 1900 and all of the protections would go away that the world would shut down, that things would overheat, and there was mass panic. I mean, there was six months of real people being legitimately scared. People were building bunkers and stockpiling years' worth of food in them just in case the computers came out to kill us. Right? Now, I remember spending New Year's Eve with my wife-to-be. Uh, she didn't know that at the time, but I had a good idea, right, as a senior in high school. And, and we spent New Year's Eve together, and, and the clock struck zero. And, and even though the government had told us for months it's going to be fine, right, everything's under control, like the fact that the TV didn't shut off right when that happened, you're like, okay, maybe things are going to be okay, right? Maybe the government was right, but there was mass panic about that. Right? People get scared when they hear there's some crisis coming our way. In 2011, there was a man named Harold Camping. And Harold Camping, for his fourth or fifth time, I don't know which one it was, predicted the end of the world. Right? He was the, the owner, operator, leader of a, of a group of Christian stations. I'll use that term fairly loosely in this sense. 
Um, and Harold Camping had a ministry, and he had hundreds and hundreds of radio stations. And he would go out, and he would kind of—he he was a fairly decent gospel preacher. He had some weird beliefs as well, obviously. Um, but he was convinced the world was going to end on May the twenty-first, two thousand eleven. And so his followers, the people who had bought into his system, spent thousands of their dollars. There was a man in New York City, he spent $140,000. He was a public transportation employee, which is not a high-paying job. He spent $140,000 of his money to let people know the world was coming to an end, to get right with Jesus Christ, because Jesus was coming. There was another man who drove his family from Maryland to California because the rapture was coming, and he wanted his family to see the sights across the United States that he hadn't had a chance to see them yet. He maxed out his credit cards. He bankrupted himself financially so that his family could see all of these things. And then on the back end, May 22nd occurred. And there was great discouragement. We have a list of people who have made predictions about when Jesus was going to come again. It started back in 365. A man that's weird, man name. I know Hillary doesn't seem like a man's name, but it was Hillary of Poitiers. He was a, a, a religious giant of the time. Uh, a super smart guy. He was a contemporary of Athanasius. If you know anything about early church history, Athanasius is a guy you should know. And this guy was the French version of Athanasius, super well respected. He was convinced the world would come to an end in 365, but 366 happened, and he was wrong. In the year 1000, the Pope, the actual Pope of the Catholic Church, the leader of the Catholic Church, the infallible leader of the Catholic Church, that Pope, Sylvester II, said, man, the world is coming to an end by the year 1000. I think it has something to do with the fact that it was just a nice round number, maybe the millennial reign of Jesus Christ coming to a close. I don't really know what his logic was. When the year 1001 emerged, he was wrong. Another pope predicted the end of the world a few years later, also wrong. We have William Miller. He's a Baptist. I use that term loosely because his followers ended up being Adventist. If you know the Seventh-day Adventist church, they come from William Miller. But William Miller four times predicted the end of the world. He, he only did it twice. His followers did it two more time and I lumped it on him. It's not really fair. But four different times he predicted the end of the world. Four different times he was wrong. Pat Robertson, the host of the 700 Club, about 700 years I think is how old he is right now. But Pat Robertson ran for president in around this time, 88 maybe. I don't know when Pat Robertson ran for president for the Republican Party. Uh, but Pat Robertson predicted the world would end in 1982. His rationale was God told him. He had special revelation that God told him the world would end by 1982, and then by the time December started coming, he started hedging his bets, thinking maybe I didn't get this quite right. In 1988, a hugely popular book, 88 Reasons the World is Going to End, or Jesus is Going to Return in 1988. If you were in evangelical circles in 1988, I was sick, so I didn't really participate in this uh, this portion of hysteria. This guy, Edgar C. Wisenant, wrote a book, and it was a massive bestseller. He had 88 reasons why Jesus might be returning in 1988, and people bought into it. When, when his uh, proposed date didn't occur, he looked back, and he's like, oh, I miscalculated. He tried again, uh, still, still didn't quite get it right. Harold Camping, I've already mentioned, five times predicted the end of the world. Five times he was wrong. But guys, there's something about like that end times thing that puts us in a state of fear. Right? And Jesus talks about the end times. Here's, here's the Southern Baptist view of end times. I'm going to give it to you at the front, and then I'll tell you why it's, it's right at the end. Okay, right? We don't know exactly how everything is going to happen. Right? We have theories. Uh, some people own those theories very, very closely. But here's what we do know without a shadow of a doubt. In the fullness of time, Jesus Christ will come again and judge the living and the dead. 
Like, that is an absolute certainty in Scripture. Uh, no matter what form of eschatology you want to be a part of, whether you want to be a pre-mill, pre-trib dispensationalist, or you want to be a post-mill, or an all-mill, or a, I don't know, a preterist, whatever you want to be, if you don't believe the second coming of Jesus Christ is coming, you haven't done a good job at reading the Bible. Right? There's a certainty that Jesus is going to return again. How he's going to return, in what pattern and what order of things going to happen, that can be debated, but the certainty of Jesus' return is not up for debate. He's promised it over and over again throughout His Word. It is an absolute certainty. He is coming again, and because He's coming again, a lot of people have, have said a lot of times, today is the day. Today's, you know, in June 9th of this year, someone predicted the world would come to an end. He was wrong, right? It was his, like, eighth time, so I've kind of given up on that guy, but but like I, I sat in a church, it was uh, in my home church, a well-known Southern Baptist preacher. I won't name his name because he's still doing good ministry, like still a good pastor in a large, large church, right? He, he got up and he gave a specific date the world would end, and I wrote it down in my Bible because I was like, that sounds like garbage, right? And I wrote it down in my Bible, and a year later, whenever that happened, uh, it, the world didn't come to an end, and I was like, dang it, he was wrong again. Right, but we get, we get anxious, we can get fearful, and people spend a lot of time and energy worrying about what to do to prepare for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Because if you read the book of Revelation, when that's all going on, things seem pretty bad. And so people stockpile uh, goods and, and, and everything else to prepare for this massive worldwide carnage that's going to take place. I'm going to say there's a better way to handle the news that Jesus is coming again, and that's found in Mark chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, open to Mark chapter 13. Jesus has just finished his time in the temple. He's gone through the temple. He's dealt with all the religious leaders. He's put his authority over all the religious leaders, and now he's leaving the temple, and he's going to spend chapter 13 doing what is known as the Olivet Discourse, and this is uh, Jesus sitting on the Mount of Olives teaching his disciples, and what he's teaching about is his second coming, the end times, when things come to a close. And this is what Jesus says, starting in Mark chapter 13, verse 1. He says, And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be one, or there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things be, uh, things are about to be accomplished. When are these things going to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. This must take place, but the end isn't yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom uh, against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. But these are but the beginning of the birth pains. So Jesus is leaving the temple. His disciples look at the temple. The temple was a magnificently splendid building. This was actually the second temple. It was less splendid than the first one, but it was still awe-inspiring. I don't know if you've ever been to like a man-made structure that you stand at and you look at it and you're like... This is just amazing. Like that people could put this thing together and do such a good job. It was glittering white. The stones were glittering white. There was gold leafing all over the temple. So it was a radiant building. It was the centerpiece. It was the crown jewel of Jerusalem. The disciples walked out and said, look at these stones. Look at how beautiful 
this building is. And Jesus takes that moment to begin telling them things aren't always going to be like you think they're going to be. He says there's going to come a time when this thing is going to be ripped apart and not one stone is going to be on another. It's kind of like a puzzle. You ever finish a puzzle or just give up on a puzzle when you get tired of it, right? And you, and you kind of like just press the puzzle together from the edges and the whole thing crumples, right? And you're breaking it apart. But when you do that, you always have a couple pieces that are stuck together. And then you have, you have two types of people, right? There's people with integrity who take the pieces apart and throw them in the box. And there's cheaters, who know next time they're going to do it, they're going to have it already kind of put together, right? And I don't know which one you are, right? But Jesus is saying it's going to be the total and complete puzzle mix-up. It's going to be crushed together, and if there's a piece still stuck together, it's going to be shaken off, right? And so when you open the box again, it's just going to be a mess in there. That's what the temple is going to be like. No stone on top of, its, uh, on top of the stone it's supposed to be in. It's just going to be an utter and total ruin. And this right here, this is a prophetic moment for Jesus. The temple was going to be destroyed. This is about 30 A.D., roughly, when Jesus is saying this. Forty years later, in the year 70 A.D., a Roman general named Titus... uh, Jerusalem's been kind of a, I don't know, a pain in the neck of the Romans for a little while, so they send this guy in there, and he utterly destroys the temple, fulfilling the prophecy that Jesus lays out here. But this prophecy leads to his disciples saying, when are these end-time things going to come? Because the destruction of the temple is the destruction of all of this like religious system that they're used to. And that leads them to say, like, when is all of this stuff supposed to happen? Not, not just the destruction of the temple, but the destruction of the temple and this massive end-time stuff that Jesus has handed out throughout his ministry. And Jesus begins his, his talk by saying, guys, don't be fooled by the people who are deceiving you, right? They're roaming around, they're, they're all over the place. Don't be fooled by the deceivers. This is good news for us in the church, right? When we talk about the end times, there's a lot of people who have... Uh, guys, I, I respect people who spend a lot of time studying uh, eschatology, right? They, they, they've spent their life, they've looked into it. Uh, my knowledge of eschatology is, is, is good, right? I'm a preacher, um, but it's not as exhaustive as some people, right? You get the people, they break the charts out, and it just fills the whole wall, right? right? They know everything about everyone and how every prophecy can, could line up. But here's the deal. There's a ton of people who go around deceiving people uh, with the fear of the end times. Right? It's not an uncommon thing uh, to see that Jehovah's Witnesses, did I have them on my list there? Jehovah, nine times the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, use the, 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 the fear of the end times uh, to, to propagate their, their ministry. By the, by the way, if your religion nine times prophesies the end of the world and nine times it's wrong, it's false. It's false. Um, and so just, just so you know, I know the Jehovah's Witnesses are here in town. I know they may knock on your door. They're, they're good people. They're nice people. They're well-meaning people. They're wrong. They pervert the scriptures. They have a corrupted version of the Bible that they have to use so that they don't have to deal with the fact that Jesus is God. Right? They, have a, they have a corrupted view of who God is. So if you deal with this, this is all on the side there, by the way. If you deal with Jehovah's Witnesses, just know uh, they're wrong. And anything they say, they could be right on some things, but they're wrong on the things that matter. Uh, so, so just put that, put that in there. But guys, there's a lot of people who are out there deceiving. And as Christians, we're supposed to be wise and not be fooled by that, right? When things look bad, when uh, right now I looked up, there's a doomsday clock. It started in the 70s due to the Cold War, right? And some scientists got together and said, this is how close we are to the world coming to an end. And the, the main fear initially was nuclear winter, right? The Soviet Union and America deciding to lob nuclear bombs at each other and destroying all life on the earth. 
Uh, and that fear is still there, right? We could still be involved in something like that. But it's two minutes to midnight. Midnight is when the world comes to an end, according to them. It's two minutes to midnight. It's as close as it's ever been in their estimation to the world coming to a close due to some cataclysm. And people can grow real scared. There's this great fear of global warming. Uh, I'm not going to get into the science of global warming and whether or not it's good science or bad science because I, it really isn't the point of what I'm at right now. But there are people right now uh, in high schools and colleges, peers of mine. I have a friend who, who, who's absolutely terrified the world's going to come to an end because of global warming. Right? There was some milestone that was hit last year where it was supposed to be the point of no return, right? When we, we, we hit this number of CO2 emissions or something, and it's the point of no return. When that point got hit, man, he just filled up my Facebook, not just mine, but like Facebook was just filled with him. Uh, lashing out about how selfish we were and how and guys I don't, I don't care about the science I, I, I do care to some degree about the science but that's not the point here the point is there's a lot of people scared right now there's a lot of people out there saying the end is coming the end is coming the end is coming let me tell you something the way the world ends right it, it's it's pretty well spelled out in scripture God's gonna God's gonna take care of it. now there may be some natural phenomena that God uses to, to be a part of that but God's hand is going to be the divine hand that does it and there's nothing you can do to stop it it doesn't mean not to take care of this world. Please take care of the world. Please be responsible uh, with what you do, right? Plant a tree for tomorrow, right? Guys, it, it's a good thing uh, to take care of the world, right? To be good stewards of the world. But generally, the people out in rural county, my own county, Texas, aren't the problem anyways, right? So there's a lot of people scared. Don't be fooled by the people who are running around telling you the end is now, the end is now, the end is now. Guys, don't, don't lose sight of that because Jesus says there's going to be those people. And there's going to be birth pains, there's going to be wars, there's going to be rumors of wars, there's going to be uh, nations raging, there's going to be famines, there's going to be all these things. But that's not really the second coming. So don't worry about it. Don't be fooled by it, guys. Be wise about what's happening. Continuing on, he says, but be on guard. For they will deliver you over to councils. You personally will be beaten in synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sakes to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, don't be anxious beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. First of all, we're not supposed to be fooled by the people who are running around claiming that the end is here. That this is the end. Don't be fooled. Be wise about things. But the second thing it is, is we're not supposed to be worried about the troubles that are certain to come. Here's the deal, guys. If you claim Jesus Christ, if you live a life faithful to Jesus Christ, Jesus promises you, you will have troubles. Right? And in the end times, when the eschaton is fully ushered in, when Jesus is about to return, things are going to get really bad for believers. There's going to be a, 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 like a sifting of believers in that moment. We're going to see those who had true faith and those who had false faith because we're going to be put underneath the same extreme persecution that the early disciples were put on is what the church is going to be under. Right, the early disciples, there was 12 disciples. Judas killed himself because he was uh, wayward, we'll say. Um, Ten of the remaining 11 disciples died for their faith. Right? And in church history, if you read the stories of how they uh, allegedly died, it's pretty terrible things. 
You know, being drawn and cornered and quartered and being flayed with knives and being um, crucified and crucified upside down. And like, it's, it's a bad ending for most of these men. Right? They traveled the world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ that God loves people even though they're wayward. Right? The good news of Jesus Christ and it led to their persecution. The world hated them. And that sort of hatred is going to be worldwide persecution for the believer. Now, uh, we can experience pieces of that today. There are people right now in the world, I, I should have written the stat down, but, but it's something like uh, 10 Christians a day right, across the world are being martyred. Right? That, that seems insane to me, right? Because like here in America, we don't have people dying because they're Christians. Uh, uh, it's just not very common. Right? But across the world, there's worldwide persecution against Christians. I mentioned what's going on in China. I'll mention it again. Whereas what's going on in China right now is the scariest amount of persecution in China uh, since the communist revolution. It is a absolutely terribly tragic thing. You should be in prayer for that country, the believers in that country. I have a, a, a family member, Danielle has a family member who's done ministry over there, is doing ministry over there. I have a friend who's, who's in ministry in China right now over there. We need to be holding up those believers because it is a scary time to be a Christian in China. But it's a scary time to be a Christian across large parts of the world. It's large parts of the world where these things that Jesus says, where you'll be uh, handed over to the religious leaders, you'll be beaten and flogged and killed, you'll be persecuted, that that is true for people right now. There's people being delivered up uh, to their families uh, in Muslim countries, you know, hardline Muslim countries, because they've converted over to, to Christianity. I had a friend of mine who went to Houston Baptist University uh, but he, he had to flee from his family whenever he, whenever he became a believer in Jesus Christ. He had to flee from his family because they, they, would, have, they would have handed him over uh, to some sort of punishment um, for converting to Jesus Christ. Guys, but we don't need to worry about the fact that persecution is coming. Why don't we need to worry that maybe we're going to be handed over to synagogues and, and be beaten? Why do we need to worry um, that maybe our own family is going to disown us uh, and treat us poorly? Why shouldn't that concern us? Because when those moments come, when those moments come, Jesus promises us the Holy Spirit will be right there with us. Right? He says, like, the Holy Spirit, you don't need to think about what you're going to say. You don't need to plan your defense when you're put in this situation. You just need to go in there, and the Holy Spirit in that moment will speak for you. You're not alone. I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? These three guys are thrown into the fire furnace because they refuse to, to, to practice idolatry of bowing down um, to the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And when they're thrown in the fire furnace, right, there was three, and then all of a sudden there's a fourth person there, guys. You're not alone in the middle of the fire. If you're in your life right now, you're experiencing trouble and trials and tribulations. Maybe it's because of your faith, or maybe you're just going through trials for other reasons. I want you to know you're not alone. Guys, there's, there's someone who's with you. The Holy Spirit is with you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're never alone. You may feel isolated. You may close the door of your house uh, and look around and there's no one there, but he's there with you right then. Don't worry about certain troubles, guys. The end times are coming. They shouldn't cause us to panic. But the certainty that Jesus is coming in, the certainty that that's going to be a troubling time, shouldn't, shouldn't give us great anxiety. We should be at peace with the fact that Jesus is going to come again and at the end, he's going to win. Don't worry about certain things. Continuing on, uh, 
But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it ought not to be, let the reader understand. I'm going to pause there. The abomination that causes desolation. I preached through Daniel, I don't know, sometime in the last couple of years. Um, but, but that's a part of what Daniel talked about. There was going to be a leader, um, Antiochus Epiphanes. He was going to sacrifice a pig in the temple. It was a huge, huge, like, uh, middle finger to, to all of the Jewish nation, basically, is what it was. Like, guys, I can do whatever I want. You can't stop me from corrupting your place. So that was a major, major bad point in the history of of the Jewish people. And Jesus is referencing and saying there's going to be another thing like that. There's going to be a great abomination that's going to happen. This is probably going to happen with the Antichrist. Um, Some people say it was fulfilled partially through Titus standing in Jerusalem and tearing the temple apart. But there's going to come a time uh, when there's going to be a massive abomination that's going to take place. Uh, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Verse 15, "Let let the one who's on the housetop not go down or enter into his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for, for, for uh, women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, how terrible that will be. Pray that it will not happen in the winter. For in those days uh, there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord hadn't cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, don't believe it, for false Christ, false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if even possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all these things beforehand. Guys, the third thing that you have to do, first of all, you have to right, not, not fall prey um, to being fooled by the people who are deceiving you about the end that's coming. You don't need to worry about the troubles that are going to come. But the third thing beyond worrying and not being fooled, guys, is you have to, to be on your guard about the tribulation that's going to come. You have to be ready for that. You have to ready yourself for the fact there is going to be this great tribulation. Be on guard for your tribulation. Now, if you've read a lot of the parables Jesus tells about a second coming, he talks about like these widows who are virgins, I guess, who have these oil lamps, right? And they're waiting for the bridegroom to return. And some are wise and some are foolish. And the wise one have extra oil because they know that it may be a while till the bridegroom comes again and the foolish ones don't, right? And their oil runs out and the wise ones have oil. So when the bridegroom comes, they're ready to join the celebration. But the other ones, uh, they're left out and darkness, right? There's, a, there's an idea that we have to be prepared for the return of Jesus Christ. How do you prepare yourselves? How do you be on guard for the, for the coming of Jesus Christ? So the first thing you do is you know Jesus Christ. There's a lot of us, right, we know about Jesus. We, we have an understanding of who Jesus is or what Jesus is about. We don't really know him personally. Maybe your mama knew him, maybe your grandma knew him, maybe your dad knows him, but you personally don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Today is the day to deal with that. Right, the end is coming, it's certain, it's, it's near, it's nearer today than it was yesterday, right? And there's no guarantee there's going to be a tomorrow. I'm not prophesying the end of the world is going to happen today because really, I got no idea when it's going to happen. But I do know this, it's closer now than it's ever been. His return is imminent. There's nothing holding him back except his grace. And Jesus is waiting Right, the, the, the God, the Father, is waiting to send His Son back right? For, 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 for whatever reason He's waiting. And in this waiting period, you have a chance to respond to the gospel. And the gospel of Jesus Christ says you're a sinner, you're wicked, you don't do anything right. Even the good things you do aren't even that good. 
And because you sin, you're separated from a good and loving God. Right? But because you're separated from God, there's nothing you can do to get back to Him. So Jesus came to you. Right? He came to you. He died on the cross for you. He took your sins, your punishment, what you deserved on Himself, so that you could be seen as holy, even though you weren't holy before Him. Right? And if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you'll believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. And then when Jesus comes again, you're ready for His coming because you're already prepared for that. A lot of us, were not ready for the coming of Jesus Christ because we've never dealt with Jesus Christ on the first place. We've never personally dealt with that. I, I did church for eight years as a Christian without ever dealing with Jesus Christ. Right? Where, where, where I said, you know what? This is personally about, about my relationship with Christ. It's not about my knowledge. It's not about me being able to recite the right answers. It's not about me being able to attend the right services. It's not about how much money I give to the church. It's not about how faithful I am to doing other things with the church. The only thing that prepares you for the second coming of Jesus Christ, the only way to be truly on guard for the second coming of Jesus Christ, is to do business with God today about your sinful state. And God is gracious to forgive all sin. You may say, Matt, you don't know what I've done. I don't need to know what you've done. I know what I've done, and God forgave me. He'll forgive you. Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, I promise you. Right? He, he's waiting right now. and He's longing to forgive you if you would cry out and ask for that. Some of us in the church, though, we're, 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 we're believers in Jesus Christ, but we haven't guarded ourselves fully to the end, right? And so we're not fully prepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's why when every time someone says uh, the end is near or there's this great conflict going on there, we get anxious and we get fooled, right? What are you supposed to do if you're a believer here today? Is, is the, what you're supposed to do is this. You're supposed to guard yourself against the deceivers who will fool you and make you anxious, I'm not saying that, that, that every TV preacher or every preacher who's ever proclaimed that, that the end time is tomorrow is, is dead wrong. But I will say the Bible says if you prophesy something and it doesn't come to true, you're a false prophet and you should be executed. That's Old Testament, okay? We're not doing it right now. But if you get it wrong and you state it with definitive nature, you've kind of lost your, your influence there, guys. So, so be aware. If you hear people saying the end is coming, be on guard, guys. These, they're, they're well studied and they're probably well-meaning. But they can just be wrong. And we need to not fall for, the, fall for those traps out there. We don't need to grow anxious and worried about trouble that isn't here today. Instead, we need to do the work of the gospel now. Right? Just like God is holding out to save people in this room right now, that the second coming hasn't coming, so they have a chance to respond to the gospel, you may still be like the person to share the gospel with your neighbor, your friend, your relative. And we don't know when the days are going to come to an end. We don't know when the second coming is going to come, and there's going to be trouble when that happens. But you can, you can help today. Protect yourself from false people out there and then do the work of an evangelist today. Go make much of Jesus Christ and the world in which you live. Let's pray.